As previously stated, Season 3 has been pre-recorded, so amidst these times of COVID-19, please note these conversations all took place prior to social distancing recommendations and mandates. Episode 32 hosts Ryan Babenzine, the founder of the very versatile shoe brand Greats, which has experienced an impressive rise within a saturated market of footwear. We talk about growing up riding dirt bikes on Long Island, his 12-year stint living in Los Angeles, as well as his return to his native New York to create and organically grow one of the first digitally native brands. Having spawned from the desire to create a line of shoes representing some of the greatest silhouettes ever designed, there's a lot we unpack, including great insight as to what he's experienced over the last seven years and why Greats has been able to excel. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation as it's the first episode that dives a bit deeper into the business side of things. Ryan was incredibly gracious about the ins and outs of everything from startup to sharing operations-based information of greats, and I can't thank him enough for being so open. We also have some fun chatting about cars and watches, of course, so stay tuned for that. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard Age Podcast. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> we've officially begun, even though we've been chatting for five minutes. <laughs> I know, there's no sort of like... No, that's the beauty just, of editing. Just roll right in. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we met, obviously, through Aaron Levine, Instagram, madness, slash... It's like a movement, right? Kind of? It is a movement. I I'm really it. proud of him. It's incredible. Do you know Aaron well, like... I've never met Aaron. Okay. And so that's so you know the well. funny thing is I know him super well. Yeah. We grew up together. Um, uh, but f- as it turns out, he's from Virginia. Yes. I'm from North Carolina through direct message on Instagram. We do have like mutual friends. I know for sure. Yep. I've yet to get him on the pod cause I've yet to spend face to face time with him. And I would, I just much rather do these things face to face. Yeah, they're much better face to face. Yeah, I mean, I know you can do them remotely, and people yeah, do, the but sound quality usually is. I've, yeah, crappy. it's not even the quality that matters. It's the art of communication and dialogue and discussion. Right, and that's this come w- up, this way works better. Yeah, I mean, it's come up several times in this podcast where, like, the human connection is like, I think you somewhat have a starvation for it, right? Yeah, and so it's imperative to do it. I think we're seeing a shift. Mm. back yeah not and like of the younger generation like right there's somebody that works here i won't say who it is but about six months ago i was like you know would you ever start you know we were just talking i'm like do you have any ideas he's like i do have an idea and it's about dating and it's a dating app but it really focused on like meeting in real life before any progress and i was like wait what and he's like yeah like i think we need to really meet before we spend any time and like digital just creates this fake world. And he was right. Like right. it's kind of interesting, like circular all the way back to sort of like in the end, human interaction, you can't replace. No, you can't. Cause I mean, that's what you're left with in a relationship anyway. Yeah. Waking up next to each other. <laughs> totally. You know? Yeah. Um, by the way on Aaron, he, did you see his car? He's selling his Land Cruiser. Yeah. Uh, yes. I saw did it. Did it sell? I don't know if it's sold yet, but I did tag somebody who I thought might be interested buyer, which is Jonathan Ward of Icon 4x4. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I don't know he him. He like does but those retro mods. Yeah, basically. super rad. Yeah, resto mods, not yeah. retro mods. Resto mods. High Sorry. performance. 
Well, I don't know that it's it's all like engine building and like craziness. I think it's he's in California, right? Yeah, he's yeah. in um, Chatsworth, just gotcha. north of LA. Um, he'll throw his paint scheme on it. He'll he'll redo it so that it's all clean, yep. bill of health, everything's functional, crazy functional, right? right? But he's not like throwing in a 150 horsepower supercharger. I mean, maybe he would if you told him to. Right, but that's, but that's not, not his, his thing. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Got it. Um, were you always into cars and fashion as a kid? Cars and fashion. Uh, Shoes, hmm. like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, stuff. You're a product guy. I was into things. That's yeah. what this podcast is all yeah, about. Yeah, I really you know? was. Like, our, my parents got divorced when I was really young, when I was eight. But before that, my dad was a gym teacher at high school. So like at a very early age, we had sports gear stuff. We had everything in the garage, like baseball, lacrosse, football, hockey, you name it. And this is where? Long Island. You grew up in Long Island. Suburbs of Long Island. And what, what town? East Islip. Okay. I had a roommate from Hicksville. Not far. My mom's from there. Cool. Our claim to fame in East Islip is Boomer Esiason. Right. They okay. To, to that high school. But so we had all this gear and I really think that sort of set my interest in things. Now, cars came later. Um, I was always into a pretty early, again, pretty early, like before I could even drive. What were you into? Well, do you I have posters dirt, on the wall? I was wall? actually into dirt bikes first. Oh, sure. Um, I had one poster. Of a Porsche. That was the only car poster I actually 911. had. 911. Yeah. Yeah. There is no substitute. That, right. That right. classic black, it was like literal off the ground, like coming over this hump. It was a very famous photo. But I was into dirt bikes and motorcycles and bicycles. Were you ever racing dirt bikes or like were you doing no, trail riding? or trail riding. So yeah, four there's stroke? A, there's a lot of, well, back then it was two. Still two, yeah. Yeah. Um, they didn't, this four stroke things were like enduros, but that didn't, now dirt bikes are four stroke, but right. back then it was two. Uh, yeah, we had a ton of woods out there. So we, people would just drive. I never owned one. My mom would not let me have one, but I was on a dirt bike every single day of my life. Oh, that, well, From I was like eight to 15. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, it was silly though <laughs> that she wouldn't let me have one. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting. So what, take me through school. Like where'd you go to school? What'd you study? Uh, I went to Fordham okay. University here and majored in economics. If you understand money, man, that's yeah, I mean, it's helpful. You know, it's a pretty broad. <laughs> yeah. Well, Econ economy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Economy. Good. Bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then I moved to California. Oh, really? Yeah. I worked in entertainment. Where'd you before. go? Uh, I worked at it. I started at ICM. Okay. Big talent agency. LA. LA. Lived in Santa Monica. Sweet. Brought a bunch of gear. Yeah. yeah. It was like different kind of gear. It's like mountain bikes and right. different trails. And yeah. It was fun. Oh, I, love, I lived in LA before living in San Diego. Spent five years there and... Man, I knew the 10 freeway really well because <laughs> I lived in Eagle Rock. Oh, wow. Which on a Sunday morning to go surfing was great because it was yeah. only a 25 minute drive to El Porto and Manhattan beach and yeah. go surf or whatever. But I'm a big father's office fan. Dude, that You're, was my neighborhood. Oh yeah. Right I there. Mean, 10th in Montana. Yeah. Or 11th. The or burger. Incredible. It's incredible. Yep. 
they, I think and they I don't, saw, they don't change it. Like this is how you get it. You want ketchup too bad. Yeah. Go to McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not a big beer drinker, but I used to go there just for the burger. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. You and about a thousand other people. Well, yeah, I was going <laughs> to I think it got, it got crazy. Yeah. Like I've moved back from LA six, a little over six years ago. But it was nuts, like that sort of, like it just became like, a, you got to wait and lie. Like, right. But when I first started going there, that was not the case. Right. Then it got on those lists and the rest was. Shout out to Emily, the redhead curly hair. Do you remember her? I don't know Bartender? Emily, but shout out to her for she's, sure. She's been there since I started going there. And she's awesome. We've become really good friends as a result. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you ever go back and like visit? Yeah. Anytime I go to LA and I find myself on the West side, I'll end up at father's office and then I'll hit the highway home because it, otherwise it's a nightmare to get home. What was the other place that opened on Montana that, um, R and D kitchen? Yes. Yep. Good spot. Twice a week. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's solid. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. It's solid. You can get, if you have the, the chicken, the dings, chicken sandwich, <laughs> Yeah, and I used to row at a studio next door, and then go the aren't yeah like on a Sunday at five. It was fucking great. That's the awesome. The windows were just open. Were you Cal on crew? Did Fordham have nope. a crew team? No, nope. I just do it for exercise. A friend of mine started this thing called Indo Row. Nice. Um, which is sort of like spin class on a rower. Sure. And it was it was awesome. Yeah, I'm sure it whipped you into shape for sure. It did. So that was your first job right out of college is the entertainment yeah. industry? Yeah, and I did that for like 12 years. And then... Did your job shift at all? Like, did you move around? Or? Ultimately, yep. I became a manager after I left ICM representing actors. And just got tired of babysitting. Well, management can oftentimes <laughs> can, be characterized as such. It's very much so. Yeah. I mean, um, but I don't regret it. It was, it was really fun opened up a lot of access to the world. Like celebrity is an interesting thing. Sure. Um, so I was a retail guy in LA. You were. So I used to just sell t-shirts to all the celebrities. Where'd you work? James Purse. Oh yeah. Yeah. Celebrity heaven. Yep. Malibu. I opened that store. Um, Beautiful store. And then I launched the Yosemite line, which was like their, Oh outdoor. yeah. You had the little place in Brentwood country mart. Yeah, well, there was one in Malibu first, and then yep. I opened the one there, so I opened two. Super cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's good stuff. It's plenty, plenty to talk you about. You were doing, like, <laughs> I think Yosemite did a Solomon collaboration. Maybe. Well, they used to sell Solomon's, the That's Speed right. Cross. That's right. That's what got me into like Solomon's. A, now a fashion shoe. Yeah, I saw a guy wearing, like, the trail running shoe yesterday on the subway. Yeah. I was like, you're wearing a mountain bike tire on your foot. Like, this yeah. isn't built for concrete. It'll, it will for this year. Uh, yeah, <laughs> for three months or whatever they'll last on pavement. But um, that's really interesting. So then, did greats spawn out of not wanting to babysit? <laughs> not directly. I mean, so for a couple of years, I sort of dabbled around in sort of some entrepreneur, entrepreneurial endeavors digital advertising network, uh, like an out of home network. We were, we tried to launch. I was maybe going to try to set up some movies. So I dabbled in that, which is very LA. Sure. Um, and then realized I'm like, okay, I need to sort of go back and contribute to the world. Mm -hmm. And I became the, um, head of marketing or not, no head of entertainment marketing at Puma. Oh, okay. And that was my dive back into sort of, um, 
I had never had a sort of brand job, but as a manager, I was consulting a lot of streetwear brands, hip hop brands, sort of how to, you know, develop into a, get on the backs of the right celebrity and so on, which was new then. Like now it's quite common, but, um, so Puma happened to be looking for somebody that had sort of an entertainment understanding, a lifestyle understanding. It was a pretty unique role. Um, and that's what, that was my jump into that. However, back to the dad gym teacher thing. Okay. Sneakers were part of our life like from day one. Oh, sure. Were so, you a, ever a Puma guy back in the day? I was an everything guy. I had no loyalty um, to brands. I, I truly was part of that generation where you bought something based on whether you liked it or not. Right. And it wasn't like collect it. It was get something that nobody has and wear it. And right. that's what, that was my sort of era of of the sneaker culture. But yeah, I wore Puma. I wore Adidas. I wore Nike. I wore So you didn't have Saucony. like a favorite shoe growing up? I, the Puma Clyde was one of my sort of meaningful shoes in my life. Timeless. It's right. Classics. Yeah. Still around. Still around. Yeah. Great shoe. I think Puma pulled it out of the line when I was there for years, which was mm -hmm. a giant mistake in my opinion. But right. it's those classics that I think really that's what greats is built around like sort of the classic silhouette there's many of them but we focus on a few of them and uh yeah so i was a puma guy for sure cool yeah that's awesome um well then how would you describe the company in both kind of what you do from a product standpoint i mean you kind of alluded to it as far as a classic silhouette goes and then is like what you have to offer your customer yeah I, look i i've always said this i i think there's sort of trends come and go and there are ebbs and flows of, of the classics, but there's always sort of like five or six that are in the market. Now, and they, they kind of change. Like right now, runners are sort of trending forward. Right. That doesn't make runners trendy. It just means they're sort of taking position one as opposed to number five. Right. Um, and, and we play in those in that space. And, and the idea was innovation was not invent a new silhouette to me or invent a new cushioning technology and innovation was build a better shoe in a category for a better price. And that is a combination of things, um, that allow us to do that. Mm -hmm. But that was sort of what greats was and greats. The word was derived from let's pick, pick the greatest silhouettes in men's footwear and iterate those. Got it. That's where we came up with the name. So these and are we, the greats. These are the greats. Yeah. 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 Cool. So what is it? I guess that sort of parallels the next question, but like, what is the, the mission statement as it were? I mean, you know, we make premium quality essentials. I, you know, our business is around classic styles, premium quality made ethically and trend resistant. Right. I think, trend is, is, you know, people have been talking about responsibility or we talk about responsibility. The, the market talks about sustainability and we've always been a responsible company mm -hmm. and there's this trend or this sort of marketing greenwashing going on about everybody's sustainable and we're not, we're not a sustainable company. We're responsible and we continue to do more to become more responsible, but we make shit. And that has an impact on the world. Sure. Our goal is to figure out how, what is the least impact we can make. Right. Um, and, you know, but rule number one 
if we're talking about sustainability, make a thing that lasts a long time. Sure. That's rule number one. Yep. Trendy things by nature, send, tend, they sort of become trendy for sometimes like months. Right. Well, especially these days. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Because information travels so fast. Right. So the trend cycles are really, really quick. We don't want to make those things. I just, you know, if they're in and out in a matter of months, like that's just not our lane. And there's many other brands that are doing it. And, you know, sadly, I think people have become victims of their own hype. <laughs> so we're focused on the long term, building classics. And, the you know, we talked about a shoe, the, the Puma Clyde is an example. Right. It's 50 years old. Still, still a good seller. Nike, Cortez, Dunk. These are shoes that are decades old, and we really believe that that's where the like the growth of the business is for us long term. It doesn't mean we're not going to do things that are like more trend relevant. Sure. But our core business is is really quality essentials that you right. can wear I mean, you, for you'll decade. have your hub. Yep. And then you can spoke Correct. from that. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Seasonally, be it color. Style. Yeah, seasonally they yeah. change in and out, but the silhouette doesn't. Yeah, right? exactly. And you bring this back for spring, and then you put it away for winter, and and that's what we've seen now, like six years in. That's sort of like what our guy is doing and wants, and we're hearing it even from some of the most trend focused marketplaces that are giving us intel about the guy that was buying these crazy things five years ago is no longer interested and he wants these things that he can wear in a variety of use cases. I want to be able to go to work, go to lunch, go to dinner with my wife, go to drinks with my friends, go to grocery shopping with my kids. Right. And that is, you know, where the bigger part of the business is. So what's that demographic look like? Well, I think the demographic is, is not, so much age based as as it is ideal based okay um more of a lifestyle approach yeah, exactly definitely a lifestyle approach like can where does this fit into my lifestyle literally and i will tell you know our customer base the biggest demo happens to be 25 to 34 but we're starting to see sort of an earlier edge into our silhouettes and definitely taking over on the on the outer edge like 45 and up like oh sure these these guys are dressing younger so they're looking at sort of what's going on in you know the 30 year old's life in the startup and they're sort of emulating that as well so and it's not aggressive like we don't make aggressive you know weird fashion shit right right so what was the mental capacity like or the mentality entering an industry that was obviously saturated yeah, I look, any saturated, a.k.a. competitive market is just tough. But it, they're big, they're big. So I, I think uh, uh, entrepreneurs and founders, like their goal is always to figure out like how to get in there and not do it the traditional way. And that was our approach. Like People said, well, how are you going to do that? And we're, Well, what we're not going to do is uh, beg these wholesale accounts to be on the wall that they're giving all of their inventory space to these five brands. We're going to go and do it digitally first, prove that there's a, a demand for what we make and build our own customer relationships. And then we'll get to the wholesale part uh, when when we're ready. And that's what we did. Oh, that's fantastic. But, but it was like changing the way we entered the market 
that made us successful. Interesting. So was that a big foray into digital marketing then? That was sort of the strategy? strategy? Yeah, but we didn't really market then. We didn't have any money to, mar- to, to pay for it. So it was really organic. Organic being word of mouth, press. We got a lot of press and still do. Did that come in the way of throwing them on the feet of celebrities then through like due to your background? Uh, yeah, we got okay. a lot of sort of early and, you know, we got a lot of early traction then and, and acceptance and still do to this day. Um, last week, Ben Affleck was promoting his new movie and he was at the Clipper game. He was wearing a pair of white grates. Ryan Reynolds went on tour to promote P- Pokemon. He was wearing a pair of white grates. Forrest Whitaker last week was on another, like these guys are just, you know, fortunately for us, I mean, we're really lucky to have that sort of acceptance. They're, they're wearing our stuff and people are seeing it. Right. And you know, you do that over and over and over, you're going to create some momentum. Are those coming by way of product placement type stuff, like through management and stylists and things like that? Or is that? Yeah. I mean, it comes in a, a few different ways. Okay. All ways except paying them. <laughs> right. Sure. Right. We Not endorsement them. deals. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. um, sure. It comes from publicists, stylists, right. Themselves. Like sure. Some of them are just paying customers. Right. Um, we go up to a size 15 now. So we get these guys that, you know, pro athletes, yeah. marquee players that, they don't want to wear a training shoe on Saturday out. Right. They want sort of a, they're wearing jeans and a sweatshirt and a clean shoe, or they're wearing a suit and a clean shoe. And many times that clean shoe is great. Sure. That's fantastic. Yeah. You can't pay for, you just can't buy that. And, and um, that's when you know you have like a brand and we've got hundreds, thousands of challenges ahead of us, but, but, you know, when you come out and you sort of get that immediately and then for five or six years you can repeat it, mm-hmm. I think it tells you sort of where the opportunity is and we've been able to maintain that acceptance amongst all the trends and in trends in sneakers over the last five years has been yeah. unprecedented. We've never seen anything like it. Astronomical. And yet we still sort of continue to glide up and that's that's the long-term view we're taking. That's amazing. One thing you've said that I loved was... Um, entrepreneurs turn red lights into green lights. Like what are some of those red lights that you've encountered along the way? You know, this is the area where there's so many, I couldn't like, I couldn't tell you if I had to write them all. I, like there's just thousands. Um, and what are some standouts? Well, you know, you're, when you're trying to do something new, you're just going to get a lot of no, because people don't understand it. So the biggest one for us in the very beginning was like in the matter of fundraising. It was like, we, we kind of went off to say, we think we have a great idea, we, here's why, thesis, blah, blah, blah. And even if people believed in it, in terms of like the investors, they, they inevitably what they would kind of come back with in the end was, well, if it's such a good idea, why does nobody else do it? And that's like never the reason not to do it. Right, right? sure. Like, yeah. That's actually the reason. Like I was like, well, yeah, duh. Like you you sort of see the thesis and you believe in the unit economics and you understand the business part of it. Just because nobody's done it doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. Well, and two, uh, to piggyback on that, it's like 
maybe the reason it hasn't been done is because everybody has that mentality. That's most of the way. So you like, know? so the point is like, you know, the, the light turned green. <laughs> I turned the light green cause I found somebody and finally convinced them. Yes, this is worth taking a chance on. Right. But this is what an entrepreneur does, or at least a successful one, not even entrepreneurs. I think people that are successful realize that the path to success, whatever, however you define success is a road filled with failures, failure, meeting one failure. No. Some people go, fuck this. This is just too hard. I'm done. Like I can't do it. Where the person that spends a little more time doing it, ah, oh, cool. I got my first yes. And they, you know, and so that's just like, that was, that was like the first time I've experienced like, wow, this is going to be challenging. Um, but in terms of how many examples of red to green, another, another one is sort of like in today's landscape, digital marketing, right? I'm like, people may think that I'm the biggest advocate for digital marketing. And the answer is I'm, I'm really not. I actually... I think Facebook is dog shit. I think they are evil. I think everything they've created is not what they meant it to be, but it's turned out to be something pretty dangerous. And we spend money on Facebook, but it's not what people think. Like I'm, I'm against it and we are going to find other places. And that may mean we grow slower, but it'll be, it'll have more, gravity it'll mean more so that means that that sort of advertisement for the time being it's not that it's good it's just good enough for now well that's like the world got tricked to to, to believing that measurement was the kpi and we put a premium on measurement if, but the the actual performance and we're actually better than most of our peers so like we're actually doing better than everybody not everybody but many um but the world is like convinced that like, oh, I can measure it. And it's like, well, yeah, you can. And there's your measurement. You're not really getting performance that you used to get in the old, old, old way of like, here's my marketing budget. I spend it on channels that I can't measure. This is pre-technology. I spend X, I got back Y. They don't really know where it came from, but the, the, the net result was greater than today in many instances. So measurement is not as valuable as people are paying for. Let's so in what that. way are you referring that you're doing better than others? Like, what are you, what are you referring to there? KPIs, like sort of performance, uh, whether it's conversion or ROAS or acquisition costs, like so or all of the things that a digitally native brand would measure uh, to, to, to rank their success. Gotcha. What do you think defines success for greats? Um, happy customers is number one, right? And that's measured in many ways. Um, but the greatest way we measure it is through repeat business. So we have opportunity there. Like, like I want a hundred percent retention rate, right? That's impossible probably, but that should be our goal. Yeah. Because if we're doing it really, really well, we're going to get somebody to come back more than once. What do you think prevents people from coming back a hundred percent of the time? Other than just having diverse, yeah. you know, collections of shoes in their closet. Well, so, you know, outside of that, like, you know, choice, but, um, look, we're not perfect. They could come, there could be one out of stock. We still have this challenge. That's not a great customer experience. 
they could ask a question to our customer experience team and they don't get back fast enough and they're disappointed and they don't come back. Uh, the site could be slow, which, you know, creates latency and experience. Like there are many, many reasons where a customer says, I'm not going to buy that brand. And those are three examples. A real world, world example happened two weeks ago. We launched a hiking boot. It was, a, it was a new version of a hiking boot. We've never had it. It was very limited. And we launched it online only as a sort of like, hey, we're coming out with this shoe next fall, but here it is today. Like a preview. Yep. Sold it, but it launches at noon. By 1220 in the afternoon, there's a guy in our store, which is three blocks from here. And he's like, hey, I want to see the boot. And they're like, we don't have it. It's online only. Off he goes. He's on Instagram complaining. This sucks. Terrible customer experience. Blah, 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 blah. He's not wrong. He was, he was upset. He wants access to the product wherever he wants to go. We have a store. We have an on, you know, so I go down there. I'm like, is that guy still there? Because if he is, tell him I'm coming. I literally, and they're like, yep, he's sitting right here. I'm like, cool. I went down. I had a talk with him. I took him the coffee and I explained to him, like, here's why we did this. To totally appreciate your opinion. Sorry or disappointed. We'll try to be better. He, he bought one, went back, said, I just talked to the founder. I understand why this is happening. I'm still disappointed that I couldn't buy it in the store but it makes a lot of sense to me now. And that was a win. That's incredible. Yeah. If I could do that every day to every visitor, it would be great. And I you couldn't focus on anything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, well, hopefully that wouldn't happen every day, right? It goes to the point of like where brands need to live. So clearly I can't do that. Right. But as a brand, we should be listening and communicating as efficiently and effectively as we can to our customers and most of them are happy. That's great. Mm -hmm. But we learn the most from the people that are not. And we just, you know, our goal is to continue to improve the way we communicate with our customers, even if they're not a customer, right? Because why are you not a customer? That's where we can really learn. Are you a watch collector, but having trouble finding something cool and unique? I mean, the last thing you really want is what everyone else has, right? Well, this is where my friend and former Standard Age podcast guest, Tim Jackson, comes in. He and his wife, Jana, own Passion Fine Jewelry in Solana Beach, California, where you'll find an incredible assortment of independent watches waiting for you in their shop and online. And if you're getting engaged, have an anniversary coming up, or simply have another reason to buy jewelry, they have you covered. Passion Fine Jewelry also employs a goldsmith on staff for any custom desires, so you're able to go that route if you so choose. Visit Passion Fine Jewelry when you find yourself in Southern California, but they're also open 24 hours a day at passionfinejewelry.com. You can also find a wealth of information through Tim's blog, independentintime.com, where he covers anything independent watchmaking related, uh, among a plethora of other information, so check that out as well. I've really enjoyed creating these podcasts on behalf of Standard H and sharing each of these personal stories with all of you. We each have goals, and it's the entrepreneurial spirit that inspired me to start the company. You can further support the brand and the podcast by visiting standard-h.com to pick up your choice of merchandise. And as always, thank you for listening. Lastly, if you have a moment, please rate and review the show. It makes a tremendous difference in keeping these things going. Now back to my conversation with Ryan.
so I was kind of doing some math earlier in the conversation. You moved back or you moved out of LA six years ago. You said greats is roughly six years old. Seven if you count the sort of setup. Sure. Raising capital. Okay. So that was, that was kind of my next question. Like what was startup like? Was it a combination (laughs) of investor versus your own cash or do do you have business partners? No. Other than investors? So you're it. Well, now we're owned by Steve Madden. So we, we merged the company last year. Uh, so that's an invest. That's the owner. Right. Majority owner. But we did have investors and, um, it was very sort of digitally native in nature. We had okay. raised some capital, different structures from, you know, first it was a convertible note, then we raised equity capital. So it um, wasn't like friends and family. No, we never did a friends and family versus, around. Yeah. No, put okay. some of my own in during that sort of first tranche. Um, and what did that go towards? Sample making? It went to, yeah, inventory and team. Like we Who started did you to hire, hire first? First hire was sort of a all-around athlete, you know, just got, you know, you, you, when you're one person, you, the second person needs to do a bunch of shit. Yep. From, you know, stamping boxes to like figuring out how to fix something on the website. Um, so were you always third party logistics from a shipment standpoint? We were. Yeah. Oh, good for you. That was the one thing we knew. There's two things we did immediately. One was pick Shopify, even though there was a lot of advice on go with this, go with demand where going, there's like five that aren't even in business anymore. And like, that was what was super challenging. It's not like I was a engineer, so I didn't really have any sort of opinion on it, but I sort of digested all of it and realized like, or took a bet that I thought Shopify was going to be the number one web platform in our space in the world. Right. That turned out to be true. So we got that right. And the other thing we did immediately was go to the 3PL. Like I wasn't going to be the guy packing boxes in my apartment and trying to like get them out the door. I just, I think part of it was one, I thought I'd fuck it up royally and just not be able to keep track of it. Right. And two, we had a level of confidence. I just thought we're going to fucking make this happen. It's going to work. So I can't be bothered with that. Like I need to be able to like, so, so we'll, we'll spend a little bit of money on like getting them out the door, but that's how confident I was. So how did you go about finding your manufacturing? Was that like that, an that online search sort of, We had relationships with that. I mean, that was one of the advantages we had sort of, you know, I was in the industry. It wasn't that I was on the production side, but I knew enough and had enough relationships to find a place before we, you know, we launched. So it was a relationship thing. So what was your distribution like in early days then? All online? 100%. Yeah. And not because we didn't think retail mattered. We actually very early in our first deck, it was sort of, it was more two-prong. We didn't really count wholesale as a driver, but we knew that it could be there. Mm -hmm. But it was definitely retail. So... We launched and then almost out of the box, we were getting wholesalers trying to work with us. It was less about me not believing in wholesale than it was about we didn't have the capital to sort of manage both, nor the team. 
I couldn't make enough stuff on my own. Why would I make it and sell it to you guys? Plus, I didn't have anybody to manage it because you kind of have to manage it. And there's there's real things that need to happen at the wholesale level. Um, so it took a little while to get there. So what is your distribution like today? So now we're three three prong. It's mostly digital. We're opening more retail. We just opened our second store on North 6th here in Williamsburg. Our first store is in Soho. And we have some wholesale. And, and you know, the one thing people might not understand from the, the guy that created the first digital sneaker brand is like physical spaces matter and still do and always will. Right. You cannot replicate trying on a sneaker in a store or shirt on a computer screen. Right. And well, and then you also have like, I mean, for the lack of a better term, uh, the brand identity represented physically and not as an interpretation, for example. I mean, photos can do that too, but I think there's just something about architecture, the space, um, just the vibe, for the lack of a better description, music, you know, the scent of the store, you know, things like that all contribute to the overall brand. Yeah. And that's sort of like, we still have a lot of work to do, by the way. Like, we're, we're sort of finding our way there now as well. But to your point... Now, was Steve Madden pushing you to do that? No. That was a you thing. I, look, Steve Madden is a different thing, right? They're a 30-year-old legacy brand. They have a lot different sort of... They're just a different thing. Sure. I didn't um, mean that in a negative no, connotation. No, no, I, no. And I'm not, I'm not saying it that way either. Like, they're the best in like, class. Like, was that a goal of do. theirs? Like, an immediate goal, I guess. Uh, well, look, they had, they had known my position on this and, and, and have supported it, obviously, because we opened our second store quite, quite quickly. Um, and now we'll sort of get that thing operational and really honed in. And, and as long as we can do that, we'll keep opening them. But if you... If you look at the landscape of digital brands, the ones that are doing well have lots of retail presence. Uh, so it's not binary. It's just like, what's the right balance of having digital and in real life experiences, whether they're your own channel of distribution, which has advantages and you know, there's pros and cons to that, just like there is wholesale. Um, so blending the three of them is where we think a modern brand needs to be. Has your competitor changed at all? Like who do you, who did you consider your competition on day one? Um, anybody that's sold shoes. <laughs> I think that's fair. I mean like as a broad, you, people have dollars and they're like, where am I going to spend it? I need things for, you know, to wear. Am I buying dress shoes? Am I buying sneakers? Do I want super trendy? So you can make the argument they're all competitors, but immediate immediate is sort of like now there's copycats and like digital native copycats. So those are clearly competitors. And then it's everybody from Stan Smith to common projects. Sure. And you know, on the luxury side, we've disrupted what a luxury sneaker made in Italy is like, that's sort of our bread and butter sweet spot. And that business really, has propelled greats to where it is today. Now we're going into sort of other categories or back into other categories. We had always sort of played in different things, but we really weren't, 
ready to do that. We were sort of like taking, like taking away from our core business to try these other businesses. And now we have an established core business and this, and the, and the resources to really round out the product offering. Um, Would you consider that your competitive advantage then? Yeah. 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 And we're, you know, we're digitally native. We like you're not, that's digital is going to be our sort of largest distribution channel forever. I think I can't say that with a hundred percent certainty, but I would be surprised if it wasn't. And that's different than a legacy brand that is trying to become more digital. Right. Right. There's just a trust that we have with our audience and our consumer because we're so direct, you know, literally like it's like they hit us on Instagram and, and legacy brands do that too. But the legacy brand is like, there are also 2,500 points of distribution with di- opinions from every salesperson that works in those stores, for, even if they're only there for two months. Like, you get... Or even the hierarchy, dirty, right, right, of their, you know, how many people need to have a conversation to make one decision. Correct. You know, the whole, how many people does it take to, to change screw a light bulb. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. you guys, how big's your team now? 20 people. In the whole company? Well, core main business is 20 not including retail, but yeah, there's 20 people. Um, some of them are out right now, so it looks a little, yeah, little no, less, but, but I mean, 20 is, yeah, it's pretty tight, pretty few. Yeah. Yeah. And we're growing that like it, we grow as needed. Um, but we're 20. That's amazing. How are you marketing today? Then that's different than early days. Well, again, in the beginning we didn't spend any money so that the difference is now we're spending money. Right. <laughs> but we're moving that we're like reallocating all that spend. And, and, you know, I think analog advertising, let's say like in real world and like whether it's a subway campaign or a mailer has a meaningful place in brands business today. And that doesn't mean digital does not, but there was a time when you could arbitrage Facebook traffic and really acquire a customer for very, very low price. And those days are way gone, way, way gone. Even if you're the best at it, it's much more expensive today than it was 10 years ago or five years ago when we actually started spending money. The prices then were less. And I think we're just sort of like just doing new channels. Like think about you and your audience. We're on a podcast. This is a valid viable channel and we should be doing more podcasts, which we are about to be. Um, we had done some podcasts and then moved off of it for different business reasons, but where are people spending their time digitally or not? Those are the places we should be. It sounds like a very simple thing to say, but if you ask somebody about Facebook advertising, how much time do you spend on Facebook? Me personally? Yeah. yeah. Very little. Right. And I'm willing to bet, because I've asked this question to everybody I meet, what, how much time do you space on Facebook? Proper, not Instagram. And they're like, very little. I'm like, well, what do you do there? Oh, you know, family birthday party. Somebody's got married with kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's Mine's not a, like literally like, I wish those people with birthdays happy birthday. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then I'm off. Right. Like pretty much. I mean, I'll scroll like... Cause it's on my phone. I do not, I never use the desktop version. No, I've never. 
And you're and, you, this is the normal answer, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So and how the fuck can advertising be going well there? That's right, what I always say. Right, but I will say, even on your phone, whoever's paying for ads, it's pretty close to the top. So if you scroll at all, you're going to see an ad. And the way these phones listen to us these days, it's like, or yeah, whatever's so that's, going that's on. What, look, Facebook has done an amazing job at building the most effect, effective ad network for themselves. Like they are good at what they do. They have not done a great job, in my opinion, about getting customers to really care about the ads there. Well, the interesting thing about advertising online is because it, it's a call to action, right? Yeah. Like you have to solicit somebody to actually tap on it to get to your website. Yeah. Now, if you just have very great visual language, it might just be like, whoa, that's a dope photo. <laughs> And nothing more like, yeah. sp well, I guess that's, I don't know what your experience is like versus, um, you know, Facebook advertising versus Instagram advertising, because there's a lot of times where like that sponsored word on the link yeah. kind of looks like a geotag. So you don't know if it's like, oh, they just checked in somewhere as you're scrolling a mile a minute. Right. Or if it's an actual sponsored ad. Right. Look. I don't want to sit here and bash Facebook. I no, just, no, I just that's think not what this like, is about. like when we this get is real business, no, no, talk. It, it, but it really is. And like you answered the question for me, you rarely go there. You're definitely not clicking on ads even when you are there yet. Facebook's ad network is its growth has been astronomical. So, but something means there's something going on. There's a disconnect between sort of like how brands should be, interacting with customers or potential customers and Facebook is not likely it unless you're of a certain demographic slash age. Right. Right. Then maybe those people are spending a lot of time there. Like I believe my mom is there quite often, but she, the use case is different. She's there sort of following her granddaughter, which is why a lot of kids are getting off Facebook. <laughs> of course yeah. this happens in all of social media. Like the reason you know, there's 15 year olds are using TikTok because it's their channel. Well, a 15 year old when Instagram launched when it was cool is now 25. So they, they're still there. That's their thing. But the new 15 year old is like, well, I don't want to be there where my dad is or my cousin is or, and that's just the nature of social media. There's always a new one and there always will be. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. What gets you out of bed in the, in the mornings this I mean conversations like this or yeah just yeah I couldn't I thought about it all weekend no I'm kidding. I was gonna say wow uh. I mean look <laughs> I, we're I'm just I'm still having fun so that's good a lot of people no seven-year itch yeah but I'm I'm like I'm truly enjoying what we're doing and I think we're in a place where we're actually gonna see sort of a new inflection point of and go up um, so what's next? Can you elaborate at all on that or no? No. <laughs> Fair? <laughs> not, not beyond what I have already sort of elaborated. I mean, look, we're, we're bringing back some, some more product. We'll expand the product line. That'll all hit the market in April, late April, May. Um, you got the boot. Got the boot, out. but that yeah. we've always done a boot. We yeah. just sort of like, they've been coming the in out. Yeah, the new yep. one, yeah. Uh, every two years we sort of refresh the site. We're in the middle of that now. So that'll come out in May. Are and you like, still on Shopify then? We are. I hear the, pl I don't use Shopify. Yeah. I actually use Squarespace for anybody who cares. 
is uh, a sponsorship shout out right there. Yeah. Squarespace, give them a call. I wish. Uh, yeah. And I've, I've thought about, well, now they won't want to hear this. I've thought about switching <laughs> <laughs> because I hear the plugins on the back end are so robust and great that it allows just for easier growth yeah, through I, the website. I, I think like if you're building a commerce site, Shopify and Squarespace are not really in the same class. Okay. Right. Like you can do commerce on Squarespace. Yeah. But it's, I don't know enough about Squarespace anymore. So like this it's might fine. sound stu yeah. stupid. I think it's more like a hobby where if you're trying to build sort of a thing with lots of action, uh, Shopify's sort of app network is, allows you to do a lot more. And they have an office, a hop skip up from me from San Diego. So do I they? can just drive up to LA. Yeah. They have a huge office in downtown LA. Oh, in LA. Yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah. So apparently I mean, they have like networking events there. So Shopify do. hit me up forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Shopify. Shopify.com. <laughs> so, um, clearly no loyalty here. Uh, <laughs> so, Oh, one thing, speaking of Instagram and stuff, your profile says I'm a gene and Willie. Yeah. I'm on the board. Okay, I was going to ask what that relationship was. I'm on the board. How'd you get connected with those guys? Uh, well, it's two-prong, actually. Uh, about 10 years ago, I went to Nashville, and they had just sort of been there. I didn't. I never heard of them. The I, gas station? Yeah, and I was like, where's the cool area of Nashville, and that's where we go. And there's like 10 things on that street, and we walked in, I bought a T-shirt or two T-shirts, two hats. Like this fucking brand's awesome, and then I sort of watched them from afar, and they were sort of ebbing and flowing, and yeah. and then a friend of mine uh, became sort of a owner operator, and he asked me, you know, why don't you come out, meet the team? Did that? Uh, thought I had some value to add, and he asked if I'd join the board and. That's what I did. Very cool. Yeah, they're incredible, by the way. Really, their brand sort of ethos and authenticity is the real deal. That's awesome. I'm assuming you do own shoes that are not greats? I do. What do you wear when you're not wearing greats? I work out in Brooks. Same. Um, for a long time. I've tried different ones. I have two pairs of Hoka One One and... They're not right for me. I think what they're doing is incredible, but they're just not, they're not right for me. Um, I have some boots, so some real sort of winter. Like I've always worn a hiking boot, so now I wear my own, but I do have some. I wear the Solomon trail shoe a lot. Um, I've been wearing that shoe for over a decade. And, you know, I go upstate a lot, and like when I'm on the trail, like going for a trot, like that's what I wear. Cool. Uh, so, you know, greats is not a performance company, not that we can't do one and we may, you never right. say never, but, mm -hmm. um, when I'm wearing and I rarely wear shoes. Like I, I, let me think about this. <laughs> I got married in greats. No way. Oh yeah. How long have you been married? Uh, got married in September. Just this past September. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. So I was you. May last year. Oh, good. good. Congrats. So, you know. Um, yeah, I, I had a, I had a pair of custom, uh, baby crocodile greats made. No way. So they're kind of, you know, a little more. What'd you wear with that? <laughs> tuxedo. Okay. I was going to say. Yeah. I wore a tuxedo. It, it better have been simple. <laughs> it was a tuxedo with those. Well, they're black. Yeah. Like they're super elegant. I mean, if we sold them, they'd sell for like 
$4,000. Yeah. I, but that, I can't remember when I wore a shoe. Like, like a proper like Oxford. I, I wore a shoe to my brother's wedding, which was like a loafer. Cause that was the uniform for the, for the, that's what he chose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I probably would have worn that anyway. Cause it was like in a tropical Island and that sort of fit that bill. But other than that, I've been wearing greats every day since I started the company. That's smart. <laughs> well, mean. you know, it's, it's a, it's sort of like if I, in this category, right in the, in the, in the lifestyle category, if I'm wearing somebody else's brand, why would a customer even ever wear ours? Like, I just, I really feel that way. That doesn't mean I can't wear another brand. Like, I wear different running shoes because we don't make running shoes. But that's how I feel about it. I'm usually in a standard H t-shirt or a hat at the very least <laughs> yeah. every day. And yeah. then I wear my shorts all throughout the summer. So is standard H like a brand that is trying to... Is it is the goal to be a I consider it brand? still in its infancy. It started as an apparel brand. Okay. The um I'm gonna cut all this out. If yeah, that's okay. sure. Um yeah, it started as an apparel brand. What happened was I grew up in retail basically yeah. since I was fifteen. And I worked for Banana, J. Crew, um, James Purse. Yeah. Um I was a manager for Gucci. Uh I opened an Allen Edmonds store. Yeah. I sold Audis and Porsches. I'm a product guy. Yeah. Like I love it all. Right. But I always have loved apparel and I've always wanted to do that. So I've been working on, um, right now I've been in the throes of developing a line of t-shirts, no logo, robust. I love architecture. So I love structure, um, quality to your point earlier in the conversation regarding longevity, something that isn't just in the landfill, you know, after five washes, because yeah. it's cheap. Um, all that stuff. Yeah. So I'm getting back. Standard back. H is like the greats of t-shirts and hats. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> no, it sounds. Frankly, like that's that's the drive, right? Yeah. Like that's. Um, yeah. And, and I'm doing it in a way where there's like details that are different and things of that nature. Um, yeah, I have really high hopes for it. I think you're in a great category. Like, if you saw what Ami just did with Porsche. I did. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's sort of a... How that happened? Yeah, look. That's incredible. They had great access, blah, 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 blah. Like, but, like, the the idea is very in line with what you're building, right? Yeah. And you may not be there yet, but right. your concept makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And I'm assuming you ship your own product and do all yeah, the things oh that I God, didn't do. I'm a complete one man band. Yeah. And you didn't everything raise any, you, it's friends and family, building, you didn't, you to didn't, photos, yeah. to everything. And I, and, and I love it. You know, I wouldn't, it's not work to me. It's fun. Yeah. Which is why I know I'm doing what I should. Yeah. And then with the podcast, it was a community building exercise sure. and also a way to help other people. That's why this is an industry specific. So, Let's talk some cars. What are you driving these days? Oh, man. That's right. We, you know, we are talking cars. I drive a Range Rover. What year? 2020. Okay, so new body. Sport. Color? Black. Triple black, black, black. black all black black, 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 black. Wheels, everything? Black. The only thing that hasn't been blacked out yet are the tips, which is driving me crazy. Like, because I've had the car for a while now. The I'm exhaust like, tips. Yeah, they've got to go. 
I just don't like it, it. Like you, I like architecture as well. So I look at the back of my car and I see this beautiful line, and then they're on the like they're like a little too far in, and they're obvious because they're brushed aluminum. Right. So if they're black, like they'll go away. And that's kind of what I want. That's like, it's like the 991.2 911 that yeah. came out where their exhaust was like in the middle, but spaced out. And then for the 992, they were like, no, yeah, that didn't work. Let's so make them back. I, I also have a, a, a Volkswagen Phaeton, oh, which sweet. is pretty rare, right? Like a yeah. fairly rare car. And when I, I never truly love like the back end of it. And like it had all of this chrome around the window. It had like too much chrome. Like it was like really. So when I got that, I didn't even drive it. I just said, okay, take all this chrome and make it black. Like every single part, including the tips in the back. And once I did that, that car changed like over, like it, like it's 2004. Yeah. I was going to say they and only it's sold still for a couple like years. Looks like modern, like I'll drive it once in a while and it's sitting up and actually I haven't driven it at all. But when I was driving it, people just felt like it felt new. Right. Well, and it's different. So they were rare to begin with. So yeah. they're kind of like doing a double take. I'm that sure. was like, like the craziest idea of Volkswagen ever had. Is that an A8? No, wait, at Volkswagen. Yeah. yeah. They're like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, it was a horrible idea. Great car, but yeah. bad idea and way overpriced for what they were trying to do. What was your first car? A 1978 Toyota Celica four, five-speed. Five yeah, five-speed. Uh, yeah, it was so... Hand-me-down or bought? I bought it from our family friend, so okay. it was basically a hand-me-down, but sure. I bought it for, like, no money. Uh, yeah, dude, that car was... He, he, was an, he was a pilot, and he had driven this car back and forth to the airport for, like forever right. so it had like forty thousand miles on it and he w he was a psycho like it was perfect it was like it was like a time capsule right and i was like that's pretty rad that's amazing so yeah i bought that the in interior that. spotless nobody sat in the passenger the, seat nobody yeah. no ever yeah. nobody ever sat in the back yeah. nobody ever sat in the car except for him you just needed a driver's side floor mat and that was it that was <laughs> like dude, to he, replace it, it was so i wish i still had that car because it was it was in that good of a condition that it, at this point it would be sort of a collectible. I think Celicas are now becoming collectible of that era. Yeah, seventy eight. Yeah, it's a long time ago, dude. It was um, a little boxier back then. Another car that I really loved. I had an Alfa Romeo one sixty four S. Sure. Yeah. Nobody should have that car <laughs> as a driver, <laughs> like as a first driver. Right. But I but I did. <laughs> That's such pedigree, though. You know? It was so fun to drive, but it was very unreliable. You know, you want to, you like, you needed like plugs changed, like that's when because it had plugs. And you're like, fuck, dude, this is a nightmare. It was like having a Ferrari without the status. Right, right, right. Just the, just the pay, like the the cost. You know, this Range Rover, I love. I really like it, and it's it's a. I don't need it. It's big, more bigger than I need. Sure. But it's fun. It's just super fun to drive, and I. I but you're gonna, you'll probably laugh because you're more of a car guy than I am. But like, there's two cars I was considering: the E63 S wagon, or Love the that car. right, or the Range Rover. So like, I, I just couldn't. Range Rover is not cheap, by the way. 
but like there was that extra $25,000 difference between the wagon and this. And I'm like, I just can't justify it. Now, I think I was wrong about that because it really is a special, special, special car. Yeah. And, and as, as somebody driving that car in the U S yeah, there are not a lot of them. No, nope. because a lot of people don't. That's a very European car. Well, that we is don't a, drive wagons here, right? But I love wagons. Same. If they RS4, change, the RS six, RS six. But the new body looks like a fucking Batman car, so it's too angular for me. But like, well, especially two, with your black treatment that you'll do to it. Two so, years, like, but two years ago, it just had enough rounded edge. It was just yeah. like beautiful, and I like that car. So, but you can't get that one here. Yeah. So that came off the list. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I, I. We just got to go the other way I, with you. Get you an RS6 and then paint it white. Like wrap it in like matte white. That's such a that's such a San Diego thing with like Oreo it out with black black rims like you do it the other way. Right. Every Tacoma is that way. It's, it's white funny, Tacoma I, with black wheels. I never... I had a Sentra SER that was white once. But I never liked white cars. And I'm... I've. I'm appreciating them now, actually, especially the matte, like a matte white. Oh, they're killer. They're really sick. And then matte black badges. And black windows and black rims. Yeah. Yeah. I, I <laughs> on thought a about, Benz specifically, it yeah. looks really good on a Benz. It's on my, I, my screen's not up, but like, it's on my screen. So or, I don't the, have, or the matte silver that Mercedes does and yeah, the, with the chrome badges. That graphite one. With the way the chrome pops, but it's still minimal because there's not much of it. So I could live with that. Yeah. On that color, but the like, AMG, yeah, but chrome and I would take the badges off everything. By the way, even it, like, even on that, I would pull it, keep it clean. I mean, it's stealth because it's a wagon. But there, every once in a while, you get that guy. Like, there's three of them in this neighborhood, by the way. I'd love, yeah, that wagon. You pull up next to a Mustang yeah. on the highway out here, forget and you're like, it, no, I'm losing, dude. It. Forget <laughs> it. Yeah, For, not even that. Like, it's like there's a lot of cars in the supercar land that that thing sort of can, can hang with a hundred percent. Yeah. The RS seven, I think can outpace a four, five, eight Ferrari. Is that right? I'm pretty sure. What do you drive? I have a GTI, man. I love that car. Fast, you know, hatchback. I'm looking for some work. I'm looking for Scirocco's. Yeah. Like old ones. Nice. Like an 87, 16 valve Scirocco. Incredible. Hey, I don't need that, but I want it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? I don't know what it is about those types of things that makes you want it. Yeah, no, it's not good. Um, <laughs> is it a Royal Oak Offshore? It is. So let's talk some watches. We got to talk watches. Okay. You got the Offshore. What is it about that watch that made its way to your wrist? Uh, I've always liked diving sort of sport. I've, that's just all I've worn my mm-hmm. whole life. I've actually done... I've had the, the privilege to sort of work with Timex and do two collaborations with them, and they've both been diver watches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so as you sort of, it's not just diver. Like, I don't, actually, I have a bunch of chronographs. They're not really divers, although this is a diving-inspired watch, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I just like the rugged sort of functional, I, I'm not, I'm not elegant. So I need shit that you can fucking wear on a bicycle. Cause I'll, I still ride bicycles. To here. and from work. Well, I live two blocks. So oh, I so two to. blocks. Yeah. You walk. But like, I'll just jump on city bike to go to lunch and just, this is it. That's great. Yeah. It's funny. I, um, 
I don't ride bikes much now that I think about it. <laughs> You're in San Diego. You I drive. Used to, um, I mean, well, for exercise, I will, but I don't wear a watch when I'm like cycling. Yeah. Like for exercise. Uh, look, I wouldn't go mountain biking with this watch. Right. And I wouldn't go surfing with this watch. Right. Uh, so I have a Seiko diver for my surf Yeah, watch. that's a good I have a bunch of Seiko modded divers. 200 bucks. Yeah, they're awesome. Incredible. There's a really cool watch called Unimatic. Do you know these yeah. guys? I love mm-hmm. them. I bought a couple really of Really clean dial. Very, very Modern elegant. looking. That like Bakelite bezel mm-hmm. is really sweet. I like that watch. Yeah, they're really cool. Um... Yeah. So were you ever a shoe collector then? Because usually if you're a car guy, usually you're a watch guy. And there's a lot of parallels with shoe guys. Like, because those are kind of, we get watches and shoes. Well, those are the two things, like they say, like a woman's going to judge you on two things, what shoes you're wearing and what watch you're wearing. And I, that's kind of true. They give you, you get a sort of a, like that first date, they're going to look at your feet and look at your watch. And it says a lot. Sure. I think it's, I mean... I'm not sure it's right, but that's what they do. Uh, well, because they got nothing else to go by. <laughs> yeah, if you're wearing a navy suit, it's just another to like you can't really. Yeah, um, I was never. No, I was never a collector, so I don't think it's kind it's, of a new thing. Yeah, right? it like is. Last ten years, it is. But I definitely had a lot of sneakers. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, not like what you hear about today, but. But I wore every like the difference is like I don't covet these things. Like we're mm-hmm. talking about this watch. People So how many watches would you say you have? Like of this level, six or seven. But that like I probably have twenty, but six, like I have a Daytona, I have this, I have a Submariner, I have a Explorer, I have so you're, a bright ring. Big into Rolex then. Uh is that the I lion share? I yeah yeah what'd you get married in daytona new one 10 years old nice white dial black black i have a white dial explorer 2 explorer 2 yes white dial right uh which i really love that watch like fairly new with the big orange like they've kind of current current it's really sweet the numbers are nice and sort of... I have it in the back of my head that's getting discontinued this year. I hope so. I, yeah, <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's stuff, right? As much yeah, as we're stuff. product guys. Like, I like stuff. But it's stuff. But yeah. it, like, I'm not going to sort of lose my lose sleep or like, you know, that's just not what it's about for me. You know, it's interesting. I'm just thinking about very early on in our conversation, the, the garage, right, full of toys as it were yeah but it was sports equipment and i think my garage now that i think about it was the exact same way he had bikes i had rollerblades the hockey stick to play street hockey at basketball and i was really a baseball player i grew up playing baseball but that stuff was associated with fun and i wonder if subconsciously for guys like you and i like i'm gonna start asking this question like what what was your garage like as a kid? Was it full of stuff? Because as a product guy, I wonder if it's subconsciously always associated with having fun. That's a, I never thought of that. Me neither. But man, Until you might right be, now. you might be onto it. And like, like, why shouldn't it be? No, no, totally. Because that's what it's about, right? My, my BMX bike literally got brought into my house every night so I could just dial it up. Right. Like I had a, 
big piece of cardboard on the floor and I'd turn it upside down and I'd like get it right. And every day I spent more time on a bicycle than, you know, it was crazy. We were just hucking huge jumps. Like as soon as we knew how, and that was fun. Right. And it just kept carrying over when mountain bikes. And then it was like, yeah. you know, all of that. So well, yeah, I've, you might be, you might be onto something. I've, well, it's funny because I've always, this made, is like therapy. It, it really <laughs> is. And especially for me, I get to be the therapist and the, 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 uh, the patient, the patient all at the same time. <laughs> and, um, you know, cause I've always sort of half kiddingly said like us men, like we never grow up, we just get older and our toys get more expensive. Yeah. That was always sort of the joke. But yeah. now I'm like, these are like legit <laughs> toys. Yeah. Well, so like the, the, fun. the car thing, like, right. right. Like driving, well, that's fun too. driving is fun. Yeah. Like I don't need a car. Like I'm very well aware of that. And I, like, like I've had to justify it because it's not a need. It truly isn't, especially here. Especially in the city. For but sure. I find myself like on Saturday and Sunday taking it out of the garage and just driving. And like, that's not environmentally right. That's, it's really not like I'm aware of it, especially the car I'm driving. Right. But I have to be able to like, I, I should be able to have fun. Right. And that's some, that is fun. Right. Do you guys have a place upstate? We have, uh, no, we don't. Oh, we have okay. a bunch of friends that have. Because that's a really good reason to have a we're, car, we're, right? <laughs> we're we're going to, you know, we're looking up there because we actually like it quite a lot. And, what, and, Hudson Valley? Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I, a couple of years ago, I got invited. There's a helmet sitting over there somewhere. Not the Giants helmet. That was a gift from the Giants. I don't even watch football. But there's a, there's a I got to go to this sort of track day for the CTSV. Okay. What track was it at? Uh, Lime Rock. Yeah. That's Connecticut, right? Yeah. It was, it was the most fun I've had as an adult. Like, think about that for a second. I've had a lot of fun. That was like a day of just intense fun overload. It's incredible. Did you have to pay to go to that? No, it was like an influencer. I don't know how I got on the list, but it was like a influencer list of 20 people and they brought us and it was Fucking incredible. Do you go out to LA ever? Yeah, I lived there for a long time. But you I still wrote, go back? Uh, I haven't been in a while, but I, I do. So for my 40th birthday in November, my wife bought me the Porsche Experience Center. Oh, wow. Experience. Yeah. You're going to love it. I got to do that. You're going to go. <laughs> you have to go. You will go. What do you drive? That? What do they? What is the car? You get to pick. Oh. So, I mean, there's, there's uh, you know, price points according to what you choose, right? right. Like, it's like, I don't know. $2,000 for GT3, but it's like 500 bucks for the Carrera. Right. Or you could do like 550. It's the Carrera versus the Carrera 4, and you get to test drive both. Mm -hmm. That's what I did. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Unbelievable. Like, in a world where, like, I'm not a race car driver. Right. But I kind of feel like I know what I can do, right? But sure. I'm not great. Yeah. It makes you feel like a million dollars. Oh, yeah. But that was the thing. So, again, I like to drive. I have no professional training whatsoever. And here I am, and I get in this car with, like, professional racers. Sure. And, you know, driving on the street, it's a defensive driving experience. Driving on a track is, not is like... Offensive. Offensive. <laughs> like, you get to, yeah. like, cut corner. Like, you're like, no, the yeah. line is not... Right this it's a it's suggestion like, slope the fucking thing and <laughs> yeah. just make it and like again like that's where i 
look, I, I'm not a great, I wasn't a, I actually won our thing, but that's like a whole, that's a whole of an aside. Like I set the record for like our group, which is a bunch of guys like me. So like, I don't know, that's not really, then you watch the pros do it and you're like, right. they were like 30 seconds faster. So you're like, I'm the best scrub here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm the, the best of the dorks. Um, but it was super, super fun. And the car was like, holy crap. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those things, but. CTSV, I have not. 640 horsepower with all the fucking fixings. Like, it is like race ready. You hit some buttons and it's just crazy. And Sweet. it's a four-door sedan. That's awesome. Well, dude, we're done. Yeah, we were done like 20 minutes ago. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> you got so much editing to do. Good. You're like, what am it's I going to do good. with this? No, it's all good. I love right, this cool, stuff, man. man. That was fun. I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks yeah, for having me. Absolutely. I'd like to thank Ryan once again for having me in the greats offices. Uh, really great to sit down and chat. Um, some really good tidbits of information there. Hope everybody enjoyed this one. Uh, I know I did. Um, as usual, thanks goes out to Clear Audio for the use of their noise-canceling headphones and to Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful for the theme track. I'll definitely catch you guys in a couple of weeks. Hope everyone is at home, staying safe, healthy, and happy, and really appreciate you listening. Take care. <laughs>